Welcome to episode 158 of the GT on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and both Anshul and I are going to start with Forbes contributions that we've made just this past week. Um, I wrote about Druid Software and Napatag and how they are aiming to disrupt the 5G core infrastructure space. So on plenty of podcasts, until you and I have talked about a lot of the challenges around private 5G adoption and just cellular networking adoption in general, multiple paths to market and that sort of thing. But certainly one of the concerns is around events. And when organizations are looking at the overall cost of deploying cellular infrastructure versus, let's say, Wi-Fi, it becomes a lot more expensive just based on the bill of material the nature of using licensed versus unlicensed spectrum and that sort of thing. So Napatech is a company that I've been talking to for quite some time. And so recently they introduced me to Druid and we reviewed a solution or a partnership that both Druid and Napatech launched at Mobile World Congress Barcelona way back in February. And what this is aimed to do is provide better performance at a very aggressive cost point with respect to core infrastructure. Druid Software has been around since 20, actually 2000. They're based in Ireland and they provide, they're a software company by nature of their name, and they are focused on supporting the, the core part of network deployments. And they're backward compatible. Their solution is backward compatible all the way to TG. But what was really interesting about their announcement at, way back when at Mobile World Congress was Teaming with Napatech, who is a smart NIP manufacturer, and what Napatech does with their smart network interface cards is offload what's arguably the most computational intensive endeavor, which is called 5G user plane function. And so this allows basically a complete offload from the CPU on a server, and it provides much more efficiency, and it also has some pretty dramatic savings in the form of power consumption and that sort of thing. So it's one of these win-wins. It's, it's price optimized and it's performance optimized. As I mentioned, I did write a Forbes article, so I invite our viewers and listeners to dig more into that. I know I'm the infrastructure guy, you're the device guy, but any thoughts on this? I will be honest with you. I have not heard of either company. Okay. Uh, so before this podcast, I wasn't aware of their position in the 5G core infrastructure space. Mm -hmm. But I do think the way that the market is moving today, I think we're going to have a lot more talk about core and infrastructure than we did in the past, because I feel like this is part of kind of something that I have a paper coming out fairly soon, just summarizing the state of 5G networks today, both on the mm -hmm. side and on the infrastructure side, but talking about how we've been very RAN focused for a very long time. And I think yeah. there's going to be a lot more focus on core in the coming years, because that's really where the innovation is going to be happening for the most part. And that's where the uniqueness really happens uh, with 5G now. So I do think it's going to be really interesting to see what Druid and Apotech do. But I will say that I'm not as familiar with them as you are, but I think you're going to be one to help change that. So yeah. People should check out your Forbes article, and I would definitely will give it a read over the weekend while I'm flying to Asia. Cool, cool. And your insights are spot on. This focus has been on the RAN, and you and I have talked about on prior podcasts concerns around softening with that. But hey, the focus on the RAN was because we have this tweener. We have with 5G, we have standalone and non-standalone. 
And again, your insight is spot on because now the goal is to have these mobile networks move from non-standalone to standalone and core. That's what it's all about. It's upgrading that core to 5G. Yeah, check out my article, but let's talk about your first topic. And this is also the subject of a Forbes, Forbes post that, that, you, that you put out there. And this is around the Maui disaster and the responses from all the mobile network operators. It was a great read, but I want to let you share kind of some of the insights there. Yeah. So honestly, this has been a very evolving situation. As many people know, last a little bit more than a week ago, there was a pretty serious disaster in Maui where a wildfire basically swept away an entire city. The death toll is now over a hundred and that would probably not uh, stop rising over the next few weeks, unfortunately. But I wanted to know what the state of cellular networks was. And I reached out to all the operators and they gave us a, a brief, they gave me a briefing on kind of what they were doing across different carriers. And I'll say that in T-Mobile and Verizon have all responded very quickly. It seems like T-Mobile is just hitting all cylinders. Every day I'm getting an update from them and actually their CEO sent out a note to, to their employees and as well as the community in Hawaii and what their efforts are and how important it is the company to help. So they're doing a lot of stuff. I'll say that a trend I noticed across all companies was satellite communications is very heavy. Deploy these temporary networks. All companies have deployed cells on wheels, which are known as cows. Most of those cows are in the Lahaina area, obviously, because the towers were burned down there. But there were other fires around the island as well. So Verizon had to restore service up on the upcountry near the mountain. And AT&T has also deployed a lot of satellite assets near and around Lahaina. Um, mm -hmm. What's really interesting, and I think you saw this, is that T-Mobile was using SpaceX Starlinks yeah. to supplement yeah. connectivities. They have cell cellular coverage covered now, so there is no loss of coverage anymore. But they're adding additional assets and bandwidth through Starlink and deploying them in hotels and different command centers. All companies are using retail stores to distribute water and charging devices. And some companies are discounting charging. And then all of them have now decided that the, to the end of the month, everybody has free service. No one's paying for additional overage. Just everyone gets unlimited. Um, yeah. They've been jockeying with that. I've been watching the dates move back more and more where initially it was like maybe for a week. And then now it's, it's eventually all reached out to the end of the month. So it's, I think it's great to see companies competing for generosity. And all the companies I've noticed have donated at least $100,000 to the charity. I personally have donated some money to the uh, Hawaii Community Foundation, which runs the Maui Strong Fund, which has already raised something in the ballpark of $35 million. Wow. Um, and that's not including the $100 million Jeff Bezos says he's going to donate. Um, so I really think it's a good thing. It's really encouraging to see how much these carriers are responding to deploy this extremely critical infrastructure because AT&T runs FirstNet, which is a big yes. responder network. Both T-Mobile and Verizon also have first responders and they're taking care of them with 24-7 support and giving them priority access to the networks. It's just been really interesting to see how these companies are responding. Also, I'll say one last thing. All of them have implemented some kind of text donation scheme where you can donate to different charities on the island of Maui through text messaging using your billing system so you don't have to enter any credit card numbers and just gets tacked onto your bill at the end of the month. It's a great way to give as well, but I'm really impressed with um, how I'm seeing a lot of these companies respond. And 
I want to give an extra kudos to T-Mobile for giving nearly daily updates on what the state of things are and how they're helping out the people in the of Maui. Yeah, it's tragic in times of natural disasters. And I've not personally gone through it, but I have a home in Isla Mirada in the Florida Keys and Irma did a lot of devastation there. And it's just, it's heartening to see these folks and our competitors, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, almost, I wouldn't say they're coordinating together, but really stepping out to do what's right. I dug into like AT&T's response and certainly it's, it's FirstNet network in supporting first responders on the ground. They're leveraging that infrastructure, that mobile, that portable mobile infrastructure to do drone surveys and that sort of thing of the various areas. Of the my yeah. And yeah, and you go into that in the article. So I really would encourage our viewers and listeners to, to dig into Anshul's article because he did speak with all three of the big mobile network operators and provide some great insights there. But let's go to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Rakuten. Um, another executive has exited for Talus. Talus is a Canadian mobile network operator. And the question in my mind is, should there be cause for concern here? And so the executive actually that left um, is going to join Talus and basically manage uh, the Canadian operator's entire RAN strategy. And this was a light reading article that was published by, by Ian Morris on the 16th. And Ian points out what's interesting is that uh, prior to this happening, Rakuten and Talos had signed a, a partnership agreement. And so they were already working together on the RAND strategy, but now this executive at Rakuten has moved over. And so it, it is interesting. It's, you and I alluded to this when we talked about Tarek's departure. There is a little bit of trouble in paradise there. And disaggregated infrastructure, especially in the greenfield deployment, does not come without challenges. And we can just stumble a little bit here too. But, but this may not be the end of the executive departures. And I wouldn't be surprised if Tarek pops up somewhere else and some of these folks that were underneath Hall are working for him. And there have been rumors about where Tarek might land, but I don't want to speculate on any of that other than it seems like it's time for Rakuten maybe to take a step back. What do you think? Yeah, I saw this news. I was, I forgot that it had happened. I think it was Sushil Rawat. Was that the person? Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's really interesting because you're, to your point, first of all, the CEO's departure was not expected. And I think him leaving may have been a trigger for other people to leave. But realistically, people don't just hop carriers overnight or hop between companies. This was probably a process that was going to happen inevitably. And yeah, it's something's not right. In, in the world of Rakuten, but I don't know what the solution is because Tarek is the kind of person you would hire to fix the problem. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to approach this, but ultimately Symphony needs to have customers. And yeah. I think one in one may have moved away from Rakuten as a partner in terms of deploying its infrastructure. I think they went with an MVNO instead yeah. of building our network. Things don't look great to your point. I do think there's still tons of opportunities in Open RAN. I just think that we are in a rocky patch. And I think when companies don't let CEOs and other management kind of weather the storm, this it feels like this might be one of those scenarios where Rakuten might end up putting a Japanese guy in charge who's from Rakuten Network itself and the politics of all that. And it, it will not bode well for a company's 
long-term future, or at least in, in this segment. But yeah, I hope that maybe somebody else carries the flag. I don't know, but you never know. Sometimes companies, they grow, they fail, and then all the people who work there end up scattering without the, within the industry and actually making the industry a better place because those ideas spread much more widely. Someone going to tell us this might be a good sign, actually, for the industry. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation recently with Dennis Hoffman. He's the general manager for Dell's Telecom Business Group. And we talked about this. And I'm going to save those insights for a Forbes article that I'll be publishing over the next several weeks with, with Dennis and his view on open telecom and open RAN in general. But let's move to your second topic. And I caught this news prior week around DISH finally coming around to buying T-Mobile's low-band spectrum. If you recall, I'm sure you do, this was based on one of the requirements that the Federal Trade Commission placed on T-Mobile and its acquisition of Sprint. So you want to talk about that, and you also want to talk about some new devices from T-Mobile. Yeah, so this is like a T-Mobile news roundup because I didn't want to miss the device side of things. Quickly, the 800 megahertz is Sprint's network. That was their low band because they had the 2.5 gigahertz high band or mid band. And basically they had to offer it to DISH as part of their divestiture of spectrum because otherwise people were worried they had too much spectrum and people we know being AT&T and Verizon. And basically the deadline went and has passed since DISH can buy the spectrum, but DISH has actually requested more time to... Yeah. Acquire the spectrum. Interestingly enough, it's supposed to be worth 3.6 billion. I have a feeling that price is being negotiated, but it also seems like Dish is trying to come up with the money. In the last three days, I've gone, I've read articles that say Dish is going to buy a hundred megahertz spectrum. Dish is asking more time to fund the spectrum, filing an, ex- an extension to buy the spectrum. Yeah. It sounds like they want to get it. It sounds like they need more time to get the money. That's not really a surprise considering how much money they burned through. But it sounds like they actually want to buy it. So that might be a good thing for Dish's network, which is currently struggling, I think, in a lot of ways. And having 600 megahertz, 800 megahertz together will probably be very good for its coverage and its speeds. They really do need to find a way to compete and at the same time have coverage. But yeah, I don't think T-Mobile really needs this spectrum. But the interesting thing is if they don't buy it, they have to pay T-Mobile $72 million for walking away from it. Yeah, the penalty. You know, what's interesting when they were, when Dish was providing their rationale for this 10 month delay it was around um, interest rates and how interest rates have risen. Like now it's made it unaffordable in the short term. But I think it points more to your point their cash flow situation and their balance sheet situation. This was the subject of they, Charlie, we talked about Charlie and another exec on, on CNBC, and they were being asked some pretty hard questions around, hey, do you have the capital to actually build out assets against the spectrum? And there was a lot of him and hauling. I don't think the mergers help it either. No, it's not. It's distracting them. But hey, but we'll put in, we won't beat a dead horse there anymore. But I saw this as well. T-Mobile announced some new handsets and you want to talk yes. about that. I'll make that quick as well. Awesome. T-Mobile announced a bunch of new Revel 5G phones and they're basically uh, all running the new-ish MediaTek Dimensity 700 processor. And then that T-Mobile also launched their first Rebel 5G tablet. So two new phones and a tablet. So three new devices. These are basically the kinds of devices where you are buying these to get them 
for someone who doesn't care about smartphones that just wants to have a cheap phone. The Rebel phones have been pretty solid in the past. T-Mobile has done a pretty good job of making sure that they have the right specs and in general run pretty well. But these are definitely cheap phones and they're designed to be given away for free with us with a two-year contract or whatever. But this is just a T-Mobile branded, T-Mobile branded device and uh, it'll be exciting to see how these moves for T-Mobile in, in the fall when people are looking to upgrade. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it's MediaTek, right? It's, it is MediaTek. They are all going to be basically the same processor. So you're basically just paying for a bigger screen between the models. And then the tablet is also a MediaTek chip, which is interesting because usually they use Companio branding for their tablets, but they use some weird product naming when it was, if you look at it, it's literally just a renaming of the Dimensity 700 chip. They're all the same chip on all three devices. Hey, and we've talked about MediaTek's ability to provide 5G-enabled devices at the value end of the spectrum, and it certainly leans into that. So it's it's good for the market. It's offering a spectrum of devices from super high-end to mid-range to, to value price points. All good stuff. Hey, let's move to my third and final topic. I want to talk about Schneider Electric, and they're launching a managed security service for IoT, uh, specifically 5G IoT-enabled devices and operational te- uh, technology deployments. So Schneider Electric is an industrial manufacturer, and they are basically recognizing the fact that um, IoT in general tends to expand threat services. A lot of these sensors are headless, difficult to manage. And when you do that, it just makes a network more porous. And what they're identifying, which is no surprise, I've talked about this, is that with 5G and its ability to support a massive number of devices, multiple times that of LTE in particular, putting that many devices on a network is going to create some security challenges. And so this managed services pinpointed directly at helping companies manage these massive IoT deployments. This is going to be a big part of manufacturing automation. A lot of the reshoring of manufacturing coming from China and other parts of the world back to U.S. with the construction of a lot of new semiconductor fabs, Samsung in Austin, Intel in Ohio, TSMC. They continue to build their footprint out in the Phoenix area, I believe. This is going to become more and more important. And so I like the fact that Schneider, that I call them old school because they're an industrial device company. But they recognize this need because there are companies such as Palo Alto Networks that are already talking about how they're approaching securing IoT deployments and verticals like manufacturing and healthcare and retail and that sort of thing. I think this is a good thing. I think this is going to help shore up security challenges with respect to industrial use cases and applications. But I know this is super boring, dry, not in your in your lane, but any insights before we need your third bottle? Um, not really. I think when you think about what Schneider's powering and the size of Schneider, I don't think a lot of people really fully appreciate how big Schneider is and like how much of building infrastructure is based on Schneider. I think it's really important for them to have these kinds of 5G IoT deployments with security in mind. And I think more companies should be going down this route, especially if they want to be able to monitor and maintain equipment. I live in a downtown area and I see all kinds of different infrastructure technology deployed, but it's amazing how much of it still is pretty dumb. And like someone has to call someone when something breaks instead of the company being aware that it's broken and just coming. 
themselves. We've got a long way to go, I think, in terms of improving infrastructure and making sure it's secure at the same time. Yeah, I would agree. Let's move to your third topic. And you talked about early clearing, I recall last week, yes. but you want to provide an update on Verizon and AT&T C-band deployments and how they're benefiting from that. Yeah, so last week was FCS Networks. This week was Intelsat. And both of them cleared their spectrum. There was $9 billion around for early clearing. So this was like an incentive payment to the satellite companies to clear early because they actually didn't need to clear until December. So they're getting AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile are getting access to this spectrum months earlier than they were expecting to, almost four months early. As a result of that, both Verizon and AT&T have already lit up that spectrum because they paid for it. They paid $45 billion, $23 billion respectively for it. And Verizon has said that they now have anywhere between 140 and 200 megahertz available in all networks or in all areas. They have something like an average of 161 megahertz nationwide. That's a lot of spectrum, mm -hmm. which is going to help them a lot with fixed wireless, but also just having solid mid-band performance where millimeter wave isn't available. And T said that their spectrum is 80 megahertz in each market. And they now have a minimum of 100 megahertz in mid-band spectrum, continuous and an average of 120 nationwide. So obviously AT&T has that 3.45 spectrum that they bought, combining that with what they have on C-band, which is what they're doing on their rollout. And it's really interesting to see because Verizon went from 60 megahertz of C-band to 160. So they have a lot more spectrum now. And yeah, it's going to be great to see how that improves speeds um, just because there's more spectrum available. And I think I'm going to revisit network conditions by the end of this year. But the interesting thing is that T-Mobile also bought some spectrum, but it doesn't sound like that they really need it right now. And I think they're going to deploy it maybe later this year. Um, but right now, T-Mobile is obviously very focused on deploying their 2.5 gigahertz, which they have a lot of, and they bought even more just to fill their gaps. It'll be really interesting to see how all this kind of manifests itself by the end of this year. And I'll hopefully do a, a roundup of network performance based on the different devices I have. Hopefully I'll be able to get my hands on all same devices so I can give everybody a fair shake. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think it's great for Verizon. I've punked Verizon over the years and certainly they've been in, in last place although it's incumbent competitors, but this should really help them. They needed this four months jumpstart to your point. And I think we should expect to see Verizon's performance improve. Historically, they've been a leader in that regard. They've been running, I do. You know, since they rolled out this spectrum prior to this week. They had a certain amount, 60 megahertz, but I think they plateaued with that 60 megahertz. And now I think they're going to have a lot more opportunity. And you know what? Competition is great. And if we see Verizon speeds start to catch up to T-Mobile's, I'll be thrilled. But I will yeah. tell you, I'm getting up to 1.6 gigabits per second on T-Mobile now. And that's going to be real hard to beat. Yeah. It's getting, I've seen somebody do two gigabits per second on mid-band. So I'm like, how do you beat that with mid-band? It's basically millimeter wave speeds. But nevertheless, I hope everybody has fast speeds and finally starts deploying their, their, their core network with standalone because standalone combined with these kinds of speeds, I think is going to be a game changer next year. Yeah, it just unlocks a true promise of 5G. And expectations have probably not been fully met. But it's I always like to remind Anyone that I've discussed the state in 5G, it's a journey. It's not a light. I, I also was going to say, I wrote my 5G blog slash paper. It's very long, but it's detailed. I have to edit it now because this happens. Yeah. 
This is act, you know, yeah. the problem. If you don't get something out quickly, things constantly change in the 5G space. And this is a perfect example of that. So I'm going to have to add these details in and then Meta will be more up to date. Awesome. So good, my friend. It's been another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners on this week's topic is interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Will Contact and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week and don't forget to rate and subscribe.